Moving right along to our first speaker, Dr. Marian Anderson, who is Director of First Year Studies in the School of Earth, Atmosphere and Environment at Monash University. We're not cramming knowledge about the Earth and its wonders into the skulls of her students. She finds time to write horror role-playing games and make jewellery. Marian. Right, good evening all. I had a hard time trying to work out if I was going to talk about a hero of science or a villain of science. I even practised my evil laugh. <laughs> um, but I figured that I'd actually talk about a hero instead. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Boy, are you a pushover crowd. Um, but I had a major problem because most of the role models that I consider reasonable scientific role models have already been talked about by previous laboratory speakers. So I'm going to tell you about a hero of mine that you probably haven't heard of before. She's a field geologist, which means that she studies rocks in a place called the field, which means just about everywhere. Geologists study all sorts of rocks. We're kind of crazy that way. Show us a stunning photo of a beautiful landscape and we'll be completely ignoring the sunset, unless we're speculating how much volcanic dust is contributing to that sunset. And we'll be ignoring the perfect reflections on the surface of the mountain lake. We're more likely to be looking at the valleys trying to work out if they were carved by ancient glaciers or if the lake was actually formed by a landslide that dammed the valley. So we're not normal people. We'll be looking at the many layers of rocks that make up the snow-capped mountainsides and wondering how long ago it was that those layers of rocks were actually part of ancient ocean floors. We study rocks. We study dirt. We basically study everything that you can faceplant on, OK? Rocks talk to us as geologists. They whisper their stories of how they got to where they are now and what has happened to them along the way. A good field geologist can tell you the whole geologic history of an area from a single rock sample. If it's a conglomerate with a round of pebbles, you're looking at an ancient riverbed. If it's a black and white striped rock with tiny little crystals, or even large crystals, if you're lucky, of garnet, you're standing in what used to be the heart of an ancient mountain belt, where the mountains have long since eroded away, and the garnet gemstones are what is left of the ancient ooze and mud at the bottom of an ocean. Think of that when you buy your beloved one a gemstone. It used to be mud. You really love her that way. OK, my hero is one of the best field geologists I know. She was instructed by some of the world's best, and she has an eidetic memory. She never forgets anything she's been taught. Like other science heroes of mine, people like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall, who spent more time in the field than in civilization, she is at her happiest doing field work, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by unique and undiscovered geology. She specialises in Arctic desert environments, places like Devon Island in the high Canadian Arctic, the dry valleys around McMurdo Base in Antarctica, and the deserts of the Altiplano in the Argentinian Andes. My hero had a very unusual upbringing, to say the least. She's one of a pair of adopted identical twins. And even though she has this perfect memory, she has no memory at all of her real parents. She was raised communally, surrounded by scientists and engineers. So she's fluent in the language of science, of exploration and investigation, almost before she could walk. 
She spent most of her formative years absorbing everything she could learn about science, chemistry, mathematics, physics, geology, navigation, photography, and eventually decided to specialize in the physical and chemical properties of rocks and minerals. At the same time, she was also learning really useful skills like rock climbing, remote environment survival, driving, and geological and geochemical sample selection and processing. I met her first and her twin sister back in 2001 when I visited their educational institution. They pretty much ignored me. Pretty normal for students. But I was reassured by their co-workers and teachers that that was pretty normal. I guess you'd have to say that both of the twins would rate pretty high on the autism spectrum. They very much prefer to be left alone when they're working. And even though they grew up together, they left home almost as soon as they completed their schooling and both obtained jobs as remote area field geologists. Even though they both worked for the same company, their jobs literally took them to opposite sides of the planet, about as far as you can get from each other, and many thousands of kilometres from their extended families. The twins did not seem to mind at all. Despite their separation, both twins regularly sent back pictures of what they were doing and where they were, detailed results of their field testing and analyses. Each would go days at a time without talking to anyone, and then there'd be a burst of activity as new pictures, data and analysis results appeared. My hero's first job was only supposed to be a three-month deployment. Get in, get some testing done, get out. And that should have been it. But... Similar to the famous primatologist Jane Goodall and her Gombe chimpanzees, my hero is doing work in pretty much the same area that she started off in. She just can't cope with the idea of leaving her work unfinished. She has amassed more than 187,000 photos of her field area. This has been really useful because this has allowed us to put together some amazingly detailed 3D images of her field areas. And we've had great arguments about exactly what the rocks mean and what they're actually trying to tell us. After a few years in an extreme desert environment, looking at the geochemistry of acid brines and dry lakes and sand dune sedimentary environments, she spent a couple of years doing fieldwork in and around Victoria. Since then, she's moved on to explore some of the more remote areas of Cape York and Cape Tribulation. She's characterised at least six totally unique geologic environments down to the micron scale. She's studied sedimentary and igneous rocks. She's also found at least three new nickel-iron meteorites, too heavy for her to pick up, and another really weird rock, which is possibly a newly discovered type of stony meteorite. She mainly lives off the land while she's doing fieldwork. She drives a solar-powered all-wheel drive vehicle, and while this limits the distance she can travel each day, it hasn't seemed to bother her at all. When it needs recharging, she simply parks it in the sun and begins to analyse whatever outcrop or sediments she can find where she stopped for the day. As a scientist, by our scientific publish or perish standards, where publications in top journals are everything, my hero is a complete dud. She is not into publishing at all but has graciously allowed researchers worldwide to access her data under an open content license. This has led to a very unusual situation. If you do a search on her name on Google Scholar, you get 237,000 hits. I did so just before this talk to find out. 
These are all scholarly publications either generated from her field data or mentioning her by name. Her lack of publications would prevent her from ever getting a job as even the most junior of university academics, and hi to all you junior university academics out there, I've been there, trust me, it's horrible. But hundreds of very highly paced university academics all over the world owe their careers to her data. They've analysed it, they've published it, they have put their name all over it, including a number of people who have risen to the ranks of professor and higher who were still at school when she first started doing her fieldwork. Next week, I'll be attending an international conference in Pasadena at Caltech. At least 50% of the papers there will be in part the results of my hero's research and data collection, which is not bad. One problem that's been increasingly apparent recently is it looks like my hero got a pretty raw deal as far as genetic, genetics and rapid ageing goes. She's become increasingly arthritic as the years have passed. Her right shoulder and elbow are becoming stiffer, and she finds it hard to fully extend her right arm. Her eyesight has become a bit blurry, and you don't want to know about the state of her teeth. She occasionally has episodes where she ends up limping for days at a time, sometimes finding it easier to walk backwards up a hill, although this is something I do as well. Walking backwards up hills is much easier than walking forwards, trust me. It's much easier on the legs. Where she used to be able to really wail into a rock, she now seems to be satisfied just to brush her fingers over it to see what it's made of. Previously, she would have ground it into dust like a real field geologist, but she seems happy the way she is. We've tried to get funds together to send her a freshly trained field assistant, but the cost is currently beyond what her employers are willing to bear, and my hero seems to be happiest working alone anyway. Her twin sister unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Her vehicle got bogged in a deep sand drift in a cold desert region, and it looks like she froze to death overnight before help could reach her. Sorry, I should have warned you about, you know, trigger alert, freezing to death, motives, not good. Um, she did the right thing. She stayed with the vehicle, as all field geologists are trained to do, but her radio broke, and by the time it was realised she was in trouble, it was too late to get a rescue party in to get her out of there. I suppose that when my hero heard of her sister's death, the autism just kicked in another notch. She just didn't skip a beat. She just kept on working. Some scientists are like that. Even though, as I mentioned, I only met her and her sister once, I would love to see her again at some point in the future. In the same way that some geologists make pilgrimages to places like Sicker Point in Scotland to see the rocks that led to breakthroughs in our understanding of the fundamental age of the Earth, or to Ediacara Station in South Australia to look at fossils of the first complex life on this planet, I would love to follow in her tracks, see the rocks that she has seen, and look with my own eyes at the amazing vistas that she has photographed. If I am ever able to do this, to follow in her footsteps, it will possibly be the most amazing day of my life, because it means that I will be standing on Mars. My science hero's name is Opportunity. Her sister is Spirit. She's a robotic rover on Mars. She is currently on day 3,717 of a 90-day mission. You can follow her explorations at mars.nasa.gov. And my involvement with her, I helped to select the landing sites for Spirit and Opportunity and Curiosity since then. Thank you.